How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going about as well as it can. It's actually warm outside. Really? What are you guys at right now? 15. That's pretty good. Yeah. For our old tropical metropolis. Yeah, at least you're not getting snow right now. Yeah, like old last week. Mm-hmm. We didn't even mention that last week either. Yeah. Tim Jensey snowed in. So, Tim, I gotta ask, how was your week? Oh. <laughs> Actually, the week week previous was pretty good. Uh, got a decent amount of stuff done, did some interesting work. Uh, then, last night, uh, Chelsea and I made some homemade minestrone soup. Nice. And normally, like, we put in the slow cooker, and, like, we let it cool over we let it cool and then heat it up in the morning that sort of stuff and we did all that and uh we came home from work this evening and uh it was covered in a white film and looked pretty uh, mucusy Oof. so that was gonna be dinner so we got home around five and uh it was a mad scramble to dispose of it and uh get new dinner before the podcast <laughs> so what you're saying is over the balcony uh no we uh dumped it into uh two garbage bags and uh let's say it was it was still we let it cool a bit so we didn't hurt ourselves while transporting it yeah and i carried the bag out and uh it was still vaguely warm that's not too bad and it's it smelt bad it had like it had the consistency of vomit with like this awful white and green film tim are you talking about the rainbow soup it's nowhere near the rainbow soup in intensity but it's way more than the rainbow soup in volume yeah because i guess the rainbow soup was only in the thermos yeah well this was uh two-thirds of a slow cooker Ooh, wow that's a lot of stuff yeah it was frustrating because I was looking forward to some good minestrone and then it just spoiled and I've no, and like, it's never spoiled like this before. And like the temperature in the kitchen wasn't any different. We heated it up. We stirred it. Like, I'm not sure what caused it to spoil this time. Yeah. I can't think of anything. Yeah. And I guess I should have noticed at lunch, but it just looked like fat congealing to the top. Yeah. But then when I came home after dinner, I was like, Oh geez. So it's like I can sort of understand how we missed the rainbow soup until it got to the breaking point. Mm -hmm. So it's like back in the day, we didn't understand how we got rainbow soup. Now I understand how we got rainbow soup. Yep. I think we told the story about that, didn't we? Yeah, I think we told it on Adam's podcast. I think so. I think it was his. Might have been ours. I don't even remember. I know we told it. Yeah, it might have been his. Yeah, it was a fun story. Well, I mean, about as fun as you can have, about as much fun as you can have with uh, Rainbow Soup. Yeah, so I guess if we ever get called back onto the show, we've got a follow-up story. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's my week. How's yours? Overall, my week is all right. Um, not really a whole lot happening, even though I did my usual go to the gym this morning. Came home, had a nap, sort of stuff. Every, every week I do this. Yeah. Except I woke up today only to find out that the owner of the Seattle Seahawks, Paul Allen, had passed away. Oh, I saw that on the New York Times this morning. Now, I want to give him a shout out because I don't think a lot of people who are Seahawks fans of the last six, seven years really realize what a big part he was of the Seattle Seahawks because in the 1990s, they were almost gone. They were halfway to L.A. And then Paul Allen came in and bought the team. 
Why is it always freaking L.A., man? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, like, for a lot of people who aren't really into tech stuff, Paul Allen was uh, one of the founders of Microsoft. But it's really cool that he kind of stepped up in a big way to keep uh, something and keep the team in the city. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was a group, the, what was it called, the Save Our Seahawks Coalition. Mm-hmm. And they put it, they put something together where they filed a lawsuit against the original owner and they fought with them. That's how, that's why Captain Seattle for as long as they did before Paul and bought the team. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you've got something like that happening, it's hard not to, like, you have to see, you have to see that. It's like, oh, there's passionate fans here. It's not like, when Atlanta just, like, Atlanta left and no one gave, the Atlanta Thrashers left for Winnipeg and no one gave a shit. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, a complete different level of intensity. But, yeah, well, uh, I know there was a video done with the guy from the Sabre Seahawks Coalition from about, ah, oh, jeez, three, four years ago. I'll try and find it. I'll throw it up on Twitter if there anybody out there is interested in checking that out. I was really fascinated because I didn't know the backstory on that. I knew that there was ownership trouble in the 90s. They were almost ready to leave. And then Paul Allen came in. He bought the team. And then we had all the success in the 2000s. Later winning a Super Bowl. All that great stuff. The guy lived a cool life. Mm-hmm. Because and he put a lot of money into the arts around Seattle as well, from what I understand. Yeah, because I think he owns like half of Seattle. He's the owner of the Music Project, the Aerospace Museum... The Seahawks, CenturyLink Field, and also we can't forget he's the owner of the Portland Trailblazers too. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. So I'm really surprised, like with this whole NHL come to Seattle thing, that Paul Allen wasn't involved in that because he seems like a guy who's very passionate about sports, and buying an NHL franchise just seemed like the right move for him. So I'm a little well, surprised he didn't go that route, but you know, I just wanted to give him a shout out because he will be missed. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like he was a good owner for the team, too. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happens to the... Like, is it just going to his family then, or... Yeah, I think it's the state yeah. owns the team. Because I don't think he was married. I don't think he had any kids. So, really? Yeah, so I think his, his estate, whether it's his family or whatever, we'll have to figure all that out. That's surprising, because a lot of... Like, generally, uh, a lot of the... CEOs generally have pretty large families, right? So mm-hmm. it's surprising that there's no one he didn't have it on. Yeah, and I mean, he seems like a pretty reclusive sort of person, so that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think. I think there's an island right off of by Victoria, and he owns like a golf course or something there. <laughs> yeah, like he bought this island just off Victoria. And he put, like, a golf course. He put something there, so he's the owner of that. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder if he just... Ret- I wonder if if he just gives some of the things to the city. Maybe. Like, if he gave the, the stadium to the city, that'd be a huge boon for the city of Seattle. I don't think that's going to happen just because they did that with the old kingdom. Like, King really? County was the owners of that, and the taxpayers had to pay for the... For everything on that stadium, whether it was oh, renovations geez. or anything that happened to that stadium. Even the stadium itself, the taxpayers of King County had to pay for it. And they, I don't think they had paid that off until like 2010. And they okay. built that stadium in, I think, 1976. Well, I mean, it's one thing for the st- for the county to have been on the hook. But if it's just bequeathed, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Especially because then the the city would be getting the Seahawks revenue. Yeah. So like I said, I just want to give him a shout out because of how big of, how big of a person he was with the Seahawks as a Seahawks fan. I will be following up on this story. And if anybody wants to know more, I will add the link to that video I was talking about. And I will also talk about it through my own Twitter account. Nice. Yeah. So now that we got all that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about last week's episode. What happened there? It seemed like a good idea. Yeah, and like even in brainstorming, I thought it was going to be fun, but I think it was. I'm not sure we coordinated it that well, and I was, I was running on empty that day. Yeah, same. 
Yeah, and like the execute, like maybe the idea wasn't there, maybe the execution wasn't there, but I think we're gonna have to shelve uh, three LP as war for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know I wanted to go with that all season, but even because I, I did listen to parts of last week's episode, and even I was just sitting there like, "Oh man, this was a bad idea." Yeah, like the I idea don't... was cool. The idea was cool because I am an attitude era kid, but mm. I, the execution was kind of weak. Yeah. I don't know. It it might come back. Uh, we might see Nature Boy. Who knows? I know. But we are going to save that for some special occasions, though, Tim. Mm-hmm. Because we are back into our second season, and it's episode 30. The Andrew Hammond episode. This is a really big deal. Not because Andrew Hammond is the player we're going to name this episode off, but last week's episode has 80 listens. Really? Well, here's the thing. So, you obviously saw my tweet I put out there last night. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I put out a tweet last night saying that I was just checking the stats from last week's episode, and it was at 30 listens. Yeah. I checked it last night. It was at 80. I wonder what the hell happened. I looked at that, and I was like, what? Yeah, like 50 well, What happened? Night? Yeah. I'm hoping it's not bots. I hope not, too, because, man, that's huge for us. Yeah. Well, that puts, well, we have three episodes in a row around that number, too. Yeah, because I think we have three episodes of over 100 right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say that I'm going to be optimistic. And yep. people want to hear what we have to say. <laughs> I know, especially after weeks, last week's episode, too. Yeah. Well, we're going to just have to make a good one today. Yep. It's going good so far, so I can't complain. Mm-hmm. But you know what can make this episode better, Tim? A little thing. Yep. Segwaying into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Funny that we were actually talking about Paul Allen and a CLNHL team, because that's what we're going to start talking about now. So the ownership group of the proposed Seattle expansion NHL franchise unveiled plans for a $70 million training facility in the northern part of Seattle. Seattle's, NHL Seattle CEO Todd Lewicki announced the plans, which included three full-size rinks and office space that will serve as the headquarters of the proposed franchise. This facility will be located near Northgate Mall, which is also being redeveloped. Is Northgate the one with the giant Nordstroms? Used to be. I think Nordstrom's... Did Nordstrom shut? I don't. I don't know if Nordstrom shut down. That's the one that's like right on the I five before the I five becomes freaking massive, right? I think so. Yeah. If anybody from Seattle is listening to this, please shoot us an email or shoot us a tweet and correct us. Yeah, you could definitely tell we're West Coast kids. <laughs> Plus, go Seahawks. Yeah. If they're building out into the mall, that's actually a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Because you could have easily rented out ice space for when the team's not using the practice facilities. Yeah, and you can also put a team store too, right? Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of good things you could use. Yeah, and you could do the team store for both the NHL team and the Thunderbirds. Yeah, you could do it for just about any teams. Well, I guess... Okay, I guess the Mariners and Seahawks sort of have their own team stores in Seattle, but... I don't know. I, I don't. Th I don't even think the Thunderbirds would have a team store there, though, because they're out in Kent. Right. But uh, yeah, you can do a lot with that space. Yeah. I think that's a great move by uh, the prospective team. Absolutely. I can't wait to see how this goes for them, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope it looks nice. Absolutely. Let's go on to our next story. Sportsnet analyst Elliot Friedman reported that an independent arbitrator has reduced Nashville Predators forward Austin Watson 27 game suspension to 18. Watson was arrested and later suspended by the NHL for an alleged domestic abuse incident. This is disgusting. I really cannot believe that they reduced this. Given really all the don't. problems with the in the NFL, NBA, you look at all these pro sports leagues, right? And they go, well, look at these athletes. They get paid hundreds of millions of dollars. They hit their girlfriends or hit their spouses. I mean, you look at what happened to Ray Rice a couple of years ago. He lost his career. He lost his career over that. Well, to be fair, he beat the shit out of her. Like, that was uh, Slava Voinov tier. 
Yeah, even the Slava Voinov thing, right? But And he got deported. Yeah, as he should. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, this whole Watson... Like, I don't understand why they commuted it. Like, sure, she came... Like, and the weirdest thing happened today, too, where uh, the girlfriend came out and basically... Like, she came out and she basically said, it was my fault because I was drunk. I'm like, that's not a normal thing for someone to come out and say. No. Yeah, I'm like... This whole situation is greasy. Oh, super greasy. Yeah, I'm not a fan of what the NHL did. Because it's no. like you have an obvious case where the abuse happened and you're not doing anything about it. Come on. Yeah. Did you get a chance to listen to what Doug McLean said on Sportsnet about it? No. Yeah, he was flat out disgusted about what happened. Now, I was going to add it in here, but unfortunately I don't have the clip. So, sorry about that, guys. I the dogs it. are unhappy as well. Oh, I know, they the are dogs disgusting. are just unhappy about the about the reduction, too. Mm-hmm. On to less unfun news. Yep. Boston Bruins owners Jeremy Jacobs made a rare public appearance on Sports Talk Radio 98.5, the Sports Hub, where he revealed that Houston, Texas, is the next city that the NHL is looking to put an NHL franchise in. This news broke after all the news this past week regarding Seattle's attempt at getting an NHL franchise. It's this doesn't surprise me because, and we talked about the story last year about the new owner of the Houston Rockets, and he wanted to get an NHL franchise. Mm-hmm. But it's funny at the same time because Houston's another one of those cities where you always hear grumblings about it being unable to keep its sports teams. Mm-hmm. Like, look at back to the Oilers of the yeah. NFL. Yeah, and even the Rockets. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get it. Although it's... I'm, I wonder if they'll expand in the near future because they're going to get to 32, which is a very nice number mm-hmm. for the way the playoff system's set up. Because then you'd have four eight-team divisions going into a a top a 50% top cut that works quite nicely for the table format. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing is it's like, it's not as big of an issue as with the NFL where most of the teams never play each other. That's true. With 82 games, but you're starting to, if every team has to play every other team, at least twice, you're starting to kind of lose some of those rivalries a bit. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, you know, but with the renewed interest of hockey in Texas with the Dallas Stars coming back to relevance, I can see that Houston would be like, hey, what about us? You know, what about give us an NHL franchise? Yeah. It's sort of like with Houston and Dallas having an NFL franchises, and there's been, and San Antonio for years had been saying, well, why don't we get a team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like San Antonio has the basketball team. Yeah. Well, I guess the big thing is like, well, the on the other hand, though, I guess the NHL... If they have a market, they might want to serve it. Uh, Vegas shows that you you can if you have a good team, you can get some pretty easy buy-in. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you're going into uncharted territory in Houston. I would oh, say go sure. do some preseason games there first, and really see if the interest is real, and not just mm-hmm. talk. Yeah, like they kind of have to do what they did with Vegas, just that long scope out. Yep. Yeah, so I don't think it's a soon thing, but maybe in five, six years. Possibly. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, though, is like ex- expansion is kind of exciting, though, because you get these new teams, uh, you get a, there's more space for players in the NHL, so you're going to have more, you're going to get to see more prospects, more, more people playing good hockey. And it really expands the sport, and I think that's awesome, but I think the NHL is going to take this one slow. I think so, too. So let's go into our next story. A game between the New York Islanders and San Jose Sharks set a brand new low in attendance for regular season games at the Barclays Center with a total of 8,790 fans since the team has moved there. Jesus fucking Christ. Now, I know that the Islanders have been playing in front of Tumbleweeds at the Barclays Center, but fuck. 8,700 fans? Well, think about like, let's just think about the the situation that Islanders fans find themselves in. You, your cap, your captain walked out for nothing. 
you're playing in an arena that isn't built for hockey with a bunch of seats that are brutally obscured vision. Your team has no real direction and you don't know if you're getting a new arena and your team's going to be god awful for this season. Would you go? Nope. Like they're in a worse situation than Ottawa. That is true. Like, I think the Islanders, like the Islanders are definitely a bigger shit show than the Senators right now. I know. Never thought I would ever say that, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's a shame for like the poster child of brilliant expansion. It's a shame to see the Islanders have been mired in mediocrity for years. And now just when it looked like they're about to turn the page, this happens. Like this string of just brutal management, bad decisions. Just you have this a potential for a great franchise, an awesome intercity rivalry, and you just fuck it up. Yeah, and it's a real shame, right? Because I have a lot of respect for the New York Islanders and their history. But yeah, given around, I would say 19... Depends when you want to look at it. I would say the early 90s is when it all started. You know, it started with those goddamn TV dinner jerseys to (laughs) the guy who supposedly owned the team to this. Like, this is sad. This is sad, yeah. And then you had, like, a good... The Yashin trade. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Yashin trade. The Yashin trade. Then Yashin did nothing. Then you're mediocre, like, mediocre to bad for years. You get Tavares, then you're still mediocre to bad. You finally get some pieces around Tavares, and then you can't even convince him to stay. Yep. Wow. And let's not forget Rick DiPietro. <laughs> Rick DP The DiPietro contract. So it's like... This has been mismanaged for years, but I feel like the Barkley Center really was that the big bad move. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. It seemed like a move that was good on paper, but when you're going into an arena that's not designed for hockey, you're only asking for trouble at this point. Yeah. And then you're also, what's funny is you've got two god awful teams under one roof. Because, like, that Nets team was so had a historically bad season, so they had to change their name from New Jersey to Brooklyn. Yeah, it could have been worse, Tim. Could have been Detroit. Could have been Detroit. Oh, speaking of Detroit, according to a report from Red Wings blog, Wings Nation, team president Chris Granger has announced that the historic and iconic red seats at Little Caesars Arena will be replaced with black seats due to low attendance numbers for the Red Wings home games. The Red Wings, who moved into the Little Caesars Arena in 2017, shares tenantism with the NBA's Detroit Pistons. Okay. At first, like, as you're describing this, I'm like, what the fuck is painting the seats going to do? Are you just going to magically conjure people into your black art seats? Is that your plan? No, it's to make it seem like it's not so empty in there. Yeah, but still, that's like... Boy. Yep. But it's like... Talk about another team that has just taken a huge nosedive over the last several years, too. The Red Wings. It's funny, though, because I don't... Like, the Red Wings, like, I think feel like a big chunk of that was unavoidable because that team was so good for so long, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, you've got these weird contracts coming out of the front office. Yeah, and I often wonder where the Red Wings would be today if Kent Holland had stepped down as GM and let Steve Eiserman do it about 10 years ago, right? Because you look how Stevie Y has transformed the Tampa Bay Lightning from a last-place team to a goddamn cup contender right now. Yeah, and he's been able to... And it's been a cup contender with a fairly long window, too. Yeah. Like, we're talking about a five-year window, which is actually pretty darn impressive. Yeah, but, but now uh, there's rumors that Stevie Y will be joining the Red Wings now if Ken Holland goes to Seattle's expansion team. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting all around. I'm surprised that they haven't canned Holland, but from what I've heard, uh, loyalty is a big deal when, when you're in Motortown. So mm-hmm. they're not going to can the guy. Hell, they're still mad over Sergei Fedorov. Yeah, I remember we talked about that when Mike Idlich died, right? We said that the Idlich family has been known to be very loyal with the employees, whether it's head coaches, general managers, players. That's why you look at the Red Wings as a team and you still see guys like, 
you know, Kirk Mulpey and Chris Draper and these kind of guys and Nick Lidstrom still with the organization because of how loyal they are. And even look at the head coaches. Like they went through what? Brian Murray to Scotty Bowman. Uh, who else was it? Uh, that Toronto guy. You don't need to talk about that him. guy. Yeah. Yeah. don't need to talk about him. You know, and then you look at GM, right? I mean, Ken Holland has been there since I think 19, oh, fuck, nine, in the nineties. He's been there for a long time. Well, didn't Scotty Bowman go upstairs for a bit? I don't think he did. I I might be wrong on that, but I don't yeah. believe he ever was in the excuse me in upper management with the Red Wings. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. But it's just like, yeah, it's incredible loyalty, and sometimes you can be loyal to a fault. Yeah, and that's not the and you know what, I can respect a team to be loyal, but loyal can only go so far, and then you can't see what's really ahead of you. Exactly. And I feel like I feel like this like this has happened to the Red Wings, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's go down to Florida. The Florida Panthers, their forward Michael Haley, has entered the NHL NHLPA assistance program. Both the league and union said Friday that Haley will be away from the team while taking part in the program. Now I found no news to follow this up, so I don't know why he's going into this program. My guess is that he's going it for substance abuse. Yeah, but what I find is just brutally odd is that they even announced this in the first place. Yeah. Like, if you're, if it's not public, couldn't you just say the guy's on in, like, couldn't you just call it an upper body injury? Or a leave of absence. Yeah. Like, you're so vague about, like, injuries. Couldn't you give the guy some privacy? Because this kind of... Like the cynic in me is like the only reason they mention this is if things don't go well, they have a, they could publicly go back and say, "Ah, oh, we tried it with this guy, but the the drugs are too much of a problem. We've gotten out in our contract, a la Mike Richards." Mm-hmm. So, like, I just I don't like that they announced that that way. Yeah, but again, we don't know why he's in the program, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe don't announce he's in the program. So, Tim, do you want to talk about an Ottawa Senator legend? Ooh, how many games? Two. One. <laughs> oh, I thought he got a second one. And damn. Did he? I can't remember. Well, regardless, former Ottawa Senator legend Nick Shore has signed a one-year contract with the KHL's Magneto Gorgish Multarug. I bet you anything I really badly butchered that. Shore, who didn't receive a qualifying R from Calgary this summer, was traded twice last season from Los Angeles to Ottawa, and later to Calgary. I don't get it. Nick Shore's, re- like, I don't get how, like, Nick Shore didn't get a contract, how lat- two years, like, Victor Stahlberg is out of the NHL. I just don't get it. They were very, well, they were I very think Stahlberg defense. wanted out. That was different. Oh, uh, okay. Well, because he was NHL. getting to that point, because he was in his 30s, and he said, you know what? I only got so oh, many years enough. left, and I want to play at home. Okay, that's different. But, like, these guys are good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm surprised Nick Shore... Like, Nick Shore is a mobile defensive specialist, which is the type of defensive specialist you need in the modern NHL. I'm surprised he didn't get a contract. Yeah, because I know he received a lot of interest from teams, but maybe the offers that he was given wasn't to his liking. Fair enough. Although I couldn't imagine playing in Russia because I hear that the conditions for Ru- KHL players are still very Spartan. Yeah, because I know that even Yammer Yager had said that too, right? He said that the practices are brutal, and the travel is brutal. And the hotels suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, like a, a plane went down, for God's sakes. That never happens. No, it's really sad. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I'm honestly surprised that he would take a... Well, I, I don't know. It's not my place to say, really. No, maybe he's do, maybe he's just doing this for one year, and then he becomes a free agent, and then the NHL team picks him up. That's the only thing I can think of. Right, because he's he was RFA. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. On to the next Well, one. Tim, it's time to start talking about some Ottawa news. Mm-hmm. Now, this next story, 
I'm going to get you to really elaborate on because I don't really know much about this. And it goes like this. Ottawa Citizens' Kelly Regan reported that the NCEC handed developers of LeBreton Flats a 48-hour deadline to sign an arena agreement. In a letter dated January 8th, NCC Chief Executive Mark Christmanson wrote to both parties, giving them a 48-hour deadline to sign and return the term sheet that would be the basis for the final agreement that is still being worked on. This sort of shit never happens. This is a sign of a deal that one part isn't going at the pace that one party wants it to. And given another rumor that's been going around that Melnick has been having problems getting investors into the project as a whole, Mm -hmm. this doesn't seem a lot of confidence about the project. Because usually these sort of things, like they're, they're agreed to in advance and both teams are usually able to work towards each other. There might be a bit of brinkmanship here or there, but you don't usually see it get to this point. Okay. So, so this is why I got you to elaborate on it, because I'm reading this and I'm going, I don't know what to say about this, because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's well, it's hard to know about this sort of thing, because dealing with governments and de- like deals between different businesses and deals with between different governments have their own they have different feels to them and each negotiation is going to be different and this is a huge land deal right mm-hmm. so there's a lot of money you don't expect people to run up to deadlines like this and something fairly aggressive like sign this 48 hour term sheet is odd So I'm just going to ask a question here, Tim, because you might have a better answer than I would. With this news coming out, could this affect a deal in place for the new Ottawa Senators Arena? Could it fall through? Falling through is always an option. I don't don't think anyone who has enough information to form those sorts of probabilities... Like, what's the chance? What is the chance of this falling through overall? They have the information, but they're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's no way to know. Like, and as fans, that's that's scary. Yeah, exactly. Because if this falls through, then now we're worried because we don't know what's going to happen next. Well, what happens to that decrepit arena? Yeah, and I mean, if this falls through, could this be the final straw with Melnick? Could he just be like, okay, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Honestly, he can't he financially support this team much more. Yeah. Although you have to wonder at some point, does Gary Bettman set it, step in? Oh, like I would the, imagine so. Yeah, I mean, like you know, this... he said, even during the alumni game, that he doesn't want Ottawa to move. Mm-hmm. Because there is no, like from the league's point of view, there's no reason for the Senators to move. There's a healthy hat. Well, there's a... There's a fan. There's a passionate fan base out there. Yep, one that hates Melnick, but a passionate nonetheless. Yeah, like what kind of fan base goes out and buys billboards to chase out the owner? It's ours. Like, Gary, yeah, ours. Actually, that's like, not true. Gary... The Islanders did the same thing too, but we were the first one to do it. Okay, but it's like the NHL. The NHL sees that the fans are there. It's just the product isn't there's a lot of uncertainty and then this shit show is going on uh yeah i'd love to be a fly on the wall in those national capital commission meetings that's for sure absolutely so let's finish off top of the hour with a positive story yay a story was published regarding ottawa senators forward ryan dezingle and two ottawa senators fans battling cancer siblings jason and sophia are cancer patients who are out with their family at a local restaurant when they spotted dezingle entering the restaurant as they were leaving Dezingle stopped and had a conversation with them since the encounter. And after Jacob sent out a video thanking Dezingle, they have developed a strong bond. Look, say what you will about the Ottawa Senators. Say what you will about some of the players. This is some of the good stuff that not many people talks about. You know, like what was going on with Matthew Shane, Eric Carlson, and now Ryan Dezingle. So there are some really good guys on the team. Even Bobby Ryan. Mm-hmm. Even some of the stuff Bobby Ryan has done off the ice has been really great for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, it's like, and it's, well, the one thing that I've always loved about the Senators is they've been very 
they've been very good at community outreach. Like even going back to like Matty Car like Matt Karkner and Matt Karkner Turris and now Borvietsky with uh, the Capital City Condors. Uh, you had Sparta Cat reads to kids and different players would go with them. Like going back at least to the early two thousands, you've got all of this awesome like like these big overarching programs and then you've got the personal initiatives like the team kind of rolling like forming around Jonathan Petra when uh, a while back they all they had like I think it was the some people with cerebral palsy that they were working with but it really like especially with like cancers and stuff it really does make a difference to have like heroes come in and just talk to the kids it brings up the spirits and that helps yeah, and I mean, pro athletes have always been really good about that, right? Even with Bobby or some of these guys who would go to hospitals unannounced and mm. even undocumented, right? They would just go and see the kids and they would really lift their spirits. Yeah, and it's awesome that Ottawa, like the Senators, still have a culture like that given the media circus of the last year. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 very commendable i love it yeah good on you ryan mm-hmm. well tim i guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week and it's time to go on to talk about the three games we're going to talk about this evening we've got the sens versus the bruins sens versus the flyers and sens versus the kings but before we do that let's hit the music it's time to play the game Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the first game of the evening. Sens versus Bruins. This was a 6-3 Bruins victory. Sens goals were scored by Ryan Dezingle with 2 and Bobby Ryan. Bruins goals were scored by Patrice Bergeron with 3, David Pasternak with 2, and Chris Wagner with only 1. Seriously, get your fucking shit together, Chris. Shots were 31-30 for Ottawa. Patrice Bergeron gets Boston on the board first. 30 seconds into the game. Patrice Bergeron scores again to make it 2-0 Boston on a backhand pass from Brad Marchant with nobody covering him. Ryan Dezingle scores to make it 2-1 on the rebound. Chris Wagner makes it 3-1 Bruins on a deflection from a screen that Condon completely whiffed on. Wow, that was fucking brutal. Ryan Dezingle gets a second of the game to make it 3-2 Bruins. Patrice Bergeron gets his hat trick to make it 4-2 Bruins on a shot that bounces off CCNN. Yeah, like we haven't seen that one before. Yep. David Pasternak scores on the cross-ice pass to make it 5-2 Bruins. Bobby Ryan deflects the DeMello shot in to make it 5-3 Bruins. And Pasternak scored an empty netter to make it 6-3 final. Fuck, my condom was this... awful in this game. Oh, <sighs> this was 100% a, a matinee game. There were, like, actually, I thought the Senators outside of, outside of Cody CC and Mike Condon didn't play terribly. Cody Cece got his shit pushed in. He was getting completely eviscerated by that Bergeron line. But outside of the Bergeron line, Boston didn't have a good game. Which is cold comfort. Because that Bergeron line was fucking insane. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Patrice Bergeron. Because when we did our top five favorite current players, I put Bergeron at number one. And this is why. Because he is one of those players. He is so versatile on the ice. And it showed with three goals. But it was like, and whenever he was on the ice, it was nothing doing for Ottawa. Yeah. No, I did, No, I know I did forget to mention that I had to condense watch this game because this was a game last Monday when we were doing the episode. I didn't get a chance to watch the game, unfortunately, so that's why I condensed watched it. But even that, oh boy. It was hard to watch in real time, man. It's a good thing I had a turkey to manage. Yep. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I actually, like, Ryan Dezingle was a game-time decision, and uh, he came in and he played very well. Yeah, he totally got the monkey off his back with two goals. Because yeah. even in the last episode, and I talked about Ryan Dezingle had a number of chances, and he couldn't bury them, or he would shoot it and miss. Yeah, and we're a bit worried that uh, the Dezingle of 2016-2017 might be creeping back in, but... Oh, he comes back and has a great performance. Two goals. And they're pretty, fairly pretty goals, too. Uh, another set of very good... 
of uh, great performances. The young defensemen, uh, Thomas Shabbat, Max Lejoie, and Dylan DeMello all had quite good games. Um, I'm very happy with Dylan DeMello, especially. Yeah, absolutely. I was really happy with Dylan DeMello in the games that we had to watch this week, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, even this game, he came out, he skated well, and he was on the right side of the puck most of the time. Yeah, but, and that's all you can ask for your defenseman. Yeah, and I feel bad for Lajoie because he got stuck with monumental anchor Cody Cece. Who is now injured. Yeah, because if anything, this game should have injured his pride. Well, I'm sure it did more than that, Tim. Yeah, like, how do you get 25 sh- shots against? Like, how do you even do that? I have no idea. Like, there were more shots against him than time played. So, Tim, should we go on to talk about the next game? Because I got nothing else to talk about for this no. one. It it was a performance that two Senators would like to forget. Okay, let's go into our next game. Flyers versus Sens. This is another game the Sens wish they can forget. A 7-4 Flyers victory. Flyers goals were scored by Yakov Voracek with two, Scott Lawton with two, and Radko Guda with one. Seriously, another guy. Just get your stuff together, buddy. <laughs> Sens goals are scored by Brady Dachuk with his two NHL goals and Max Lejoie. Shots were 45-35 for Philadelphia. Philadelphia outplayed Ottawa in this game in all categories. Flyers puck cycling and overall capitalization of Ottawa's lack of defensive play and discipline were keys to the game. Ottawa did start the game fast-paced, but over time they slowed down and made defensive... I made defense an extreme afterthought. Let's just go right into talking about Mr. Brady Duchuk. Two goals, one assist. And I don't know if you caught this, Tim, but the commentators made a mistake talking about the Duchucks. Mm-hmm. Because they said that all three of the Duchucks scored their first goal against the Flares, which is not true. Would you like to take a guess who Matthew scored his first goal against him? Oilers. Close. The team is in our division. The Leafs? A little more south. Buffalo? Yep. <laughs> Buffalo. And I was unable to find who Keith scored on, but apparently it was St. Louis, I believe. Wasn't he on St. Louis? He was on St. Louis, but when he came to the NHL, he was with Winnipeg. Okay. Yeah, so Brady Chuck. I mean, you know, for all the flack that we gave him... When he got drafted, he looked good. Like, he looked really good in this game. You know, with his two goals, one assist, I mean, it's almost like he was a real American, Tim. Fighting for the rights of every man. Are you ready, brother? Hell yeah. Yes, Brady Duchock! But God, he's fun to watch. Oh, it's so good. God, I hope this song becomes a thing. Oh, so good. So but uh, yeah, no, it's he's he's right in the mix of everything, and that's the sort of player that I think the Sens were hoping to get out of Bobby Ryan. Mm-hmm. But like, he's he's always just causing shit in the net. I know. He's a fun player to watch. He is. And, like, to be perfectly fair, he was almost draft eligible the year before. So he does have a lot of... He does have age on on the other players that were drafted around him. But, uh... No, he's just a joy to watch because he's... He takes delight in the chaos that he's causing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking... Another player that I just absolutely loved watching this game was... uh, I really liked uh, Lajoie. Don't you mean Lajoie? Yeah, two power play goals. Like, this guy was also a big factor in this game for me. And I really have been really impressed with this guy since he's joined the team. Well, the fu- the thing is, is he just stepped he stepped in and he decided, like, yo, I'm going to be an NHL player now. And then he was. It was awesome. Yeah, and nobody expected that too, right? Because he was expected to be an AHL defenseman. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting, though, is uh, about Lejoie is that 
you, you get these flash in the pan performances from rookies all the time, but I think he has this isn't I don't think this is gonna be a flash in the pan because the stuff that he's doing is showing like a very solid understanding of the game. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's getting fluky goals or he's shooting weird uh, high percentages. He's getting to these he has a knack for finding the right place at the right time. Yeah, he's been one of the guys who really have stepped up in the absence of Eric Carlson, too. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is, like, just the, like, he if there's if there's open ice to be found, LeJoie's going to find it. Like, both of his goals are from these beautiful locations, like, right next to a face-off dot or just after another, sh- sneaking himself in just after another shot on a power play. That's, be- like, that's just very heads-up play. And I'm very happy with how he's been playing, and he's all, he was also rewarded this game. He was auto, he had the most ice time out of any Ottawa player. That's awesome to hear, man. Yep, 23 minutes, same with Shabbat. Yeah. Can we also talk about another player who I thought looked decent in this game? And that's Bobby Ryan. Now, Bobby Ryan created some decent scoring chances, and he showed emotion this game, which yeah. we will talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about Formenton? Yeah, let's talk about Formenton because what do you think about that hit on Lindbaum? Like, first of all, for those who don't know, Alex Formenton was going to the bench and he nudged Lindbaum from behind. Lindbaum went headfirst into the boards. The Flyers cross-checked him to the ice. All hell breaks loose with Bobby Ryan losing his cool. The hit was questionable. I probably would have given it, at that point in the game, I would have given it a two for Ruffin, just because that's the sort of game the refs were calling up to that point. Yeah, I mean, the refs weren't let anything go in this game. Both teams had been called for seven penalties each. Yeah, it's funny that the refs weren't letting anything go, but it's they still lost control of it. Yeah, that, that scrum, though, that reminded me a lot of the old Philadelphia Flyer Buffalo Sabres scrums that they had in the late 90s. With the guards, with Garth Snow and Matthew Barnaby and Dominic Hasek and those guys, seriously, go into YouTube check some of those stuff out. That's really awesome. Well, I mean, we could talk about an Ottawa Philly brawl of yesteryear as well. Yeah, on my ber- on my twelfth birthday too, March fifth. Yeah, that was a hell of a fight. Oh, it was a hell of a fight, man. I love it. Yeah, and then uh... <laughs> actually, you know what's funny, and this is one thing I didn't mention in either of the episodes we've had so far. The Ottawa Senators have been doing this a lot lately where they've been stirring it up during line changes where they shove somebody and the guy shoves them back and they're starting some shit. Have you noticed this or is it just me? No, the Senators are chippier this year. I wonder if that's like just what Guy's coaching them towards or like was Carlson actively kind of playing down that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's a it's definitely a lot chippier hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, one thing we mentioned is Kachuk did end up with a Gordie Howe hat trick because he was part of that Brown. And then one thing that's this well, actually, game... no, let's backpedal a bit because technically the Gordie hat trick you have to be in an actual fight. Uh, okay. The scrum doesn't count. Scrum doesn't count. Oh, it'd be fun if he won. It'd be fun if like first game Gordie Howe hat trick. That would be memorable. Actually, That'd you know, be... would be really memorable if if somebody took the clip of that scrum and put the UFC theme over that. Yeah. Or like... Come on, internet. Make that a thing. We could make it ourselves. Yes, we could. Yeah. Two for... Yeah, we said that two for... One thing I want to talk about this game is the crowd. They may not have been numerous, but they were in it. Yeah, and that's what happens when you get into scrums on the ice, right? Is that the fans really get into it. Yeah, like attend. There was only thirteen thousand people in attendance, but they were loud and they they were dialed in because, sure, Ottawa was losing a lot last season, but it wasn't fun losing like this game was, mm-hmm. where it was like the young kids are firing lasers into the net, crashing and bashing, and Ottawa didn't actually even look that bad until it, when it all fell apart in the third. Yeah, actually, that's what the Sens call-ups, too, said, because they were up in the press box for that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... This was a good... Like, this game was fun to watch, and I don't think I've had fun watching a Sens game in a while. Yeah, it's been a while, man. 
Yeah. And you know what? We could deal with a few more losses like this one. Yep. Until the third game happened of this week. Let's talk about that. Kings versus Senators. This is a 5-1 to one Senators victory. Kings were scored by Trevor Lewis. Sens goals were scored by Chris Weidman with two, Chris Tenary, Mark Stone, and Colin White. Shots were 37-22 for the Los Angeles Kings. Ottawa dominated LA in this game, despite the Kings outshooting Ottawa by 15. LA came out flat-footed to start the game, but did get better as the game went on. Ottawa overall played a solid game on both sides of the puck, and a great game by Craig Anderson secured the victory for Ottawa. Well, Ottawa did look flat-footed, but like I said, they got better, and watching them, Drew Doughty was their best player. He yeah. did not look flat-footed at all. He was going left and right and making plays. I was like, oh, it's a shame I stopped liking him because it's a shame. Yeah. Well, the one thing about Ottawa getting outshot in that game is by the time the Kings came on, it was in advanced stats, there's something known as score effects. Okay. So teams that are leading tend to come off, like tend to take the foot off the gas. And by the time you're at 4 nothing which is when the LA Kings really started to come on. You don't have a lot left to fight for, and it's not really worth fighting too hard and getting injured. Mm-hmm. But, man, some of those go- like some of those goals were kind of funny and also really pretty. Yeah, especially the Teneri goal. Because if he had not touched it, DeMillo would have scored. Oh, yeah. But, and it's like, I love how they're all like, eh, whatever. We'll give, him, we'll give the goal thief it. <laughs> yeah, this is a team goal, guys. High five. High five. Okay, okay, Tierney. But uh, Weidman scores his first goal since before the hamstring injury. You know what? I have it in my notes. Chris Weidman with two goals after missing most of last season with a hamstring injury. I was so happy to see he scored twice in this game because he has been one of my favorite and unsung players on the team. Well, he played so well last, like, the other day. Like, it, he was always on the right side of the puck making good plays. It's just a shame that he played the least out of everyone. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it, I never did really notice him out there that much. He played eight minutes. That's it? Yeah, Christian Jaros played more. Oh, yeah, that's right. Christian Jaros was in that game. And Ben Harper. And Ben Harper. Ben Harper had, like, that one hit, and he ended up falling over anyway. Yeah. Ben Harper played 23 minutes. Really? I didn't even notice him out there. Yeah, he played more minutes than Shabbat. He led the Senators in ice time. Why? I don't know, because... Well, I guess what happened is Guy Boucher wanted to play a shutdown line, so he played Borbietsky and Harper. Yeah. And it was bad. Don't do that. Now, I said it off the top that Craig Anderson had a great game. And he did. 36 saves... He looks solid. And this was a really good bounce back for him. But on the other side of that, he only faced like a handful of good shots. The Senders did a great job of keeping, of forcing the LA Kings to take shit shots from the outside. True, but 36 saves is still 36 saves. 36 saves is still 36 saves, but if you're making like 20 junky saves meh like it's it's still impressive but it's your defense actually did did some your defense did quite a bit for you like it's i'd say this is one of the first games that craig anderson had defense support it also didn't help that the la kings were uh not exactly keyed into this game let's call it that no because they look stifled against ottawa's defense they look like they didn't wake up and they're God damn, was their power play awful. And the Senators gave them a lot of chances. They did. Yeah, and like that's going to... I think that's going to be an overarching theme for this team is it's a young, undisciplined team. So they're going to need to get their emotions under control a bit. Yeah, so you're talking like a Dave Cameron Team 2.0? Kinda. But with more penalties and not bench miners. Oof. Because it's a it's a lot of hook and a lot of hold, and at least it's not dumb, unsportsmanlike stuff. That's true. It's just mistakes leading into holdings and hookings, but it is it's undisciplined 
at the same time. So it's yeah. something that the Sens are going to have to work on. Yeah. One thing that did look good, though, was the Tenuri stone to Chuck line. I thought it looked good. Well, I mean, you've got the real American. Yes, you do. And to be fair, Tenuri is Ottawa's second best player right now in terms of points with two goals, five assists. So that line is clicking. Yeah, let's keep them together, man, because they looked good. Mm-hmm. And, on, like, at this point, it's been scoring by committee. Like, the Senators have 15 players with points. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty impressive. Thomas Shabbat leads the team with eight. And then Maxi, Maxime Rougeois is leading the team in goals. Actually, you know what's funny enough? That Thomas Shabbat and Max Lejoie look like seasoned vets in this game. They do. And they, they're they just, they're so poised. I love it. And, like, I feel very comfortable having both those players on the ice because you know they're going to get into the right spot, get the puck, and move it. And you can't say that about Cody CC or Borowiecki. Nope. Or Harper. But it's like, Ottawa's defense was expected to be a liability this season and if if Lejoie matures and DeMello keeps up this pace it won't be as bad as what we thought it was going to be and I can honestly say that there will definitely be teams worse than the Ottawa Senators this year I think we should just close out with that yeah that's about what we could the most positive thing we could say about this team yeah, because I don't have any other notes to talk about if you have anything else you want to talk about. Um, not really, other than uh, we are starting to see some of the defensive pairs uh, shape up, and I think we know what Ottawa's top line looks like now. It's Shabbat DeMello. Yeah, looks good. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yep. Overall, well, Tim, I guess it's that time of the night where we got to ride off into the sunset, eh, bud? Yeah, and... This is probably the best week of sen like the best two weeks of Senators hockey we've had in gosh a year now. Well, just a quick reminder for next week. Ottawa currently is leading Dallas four to one. Oh baby. And you know what? We will be hearing the real American theme next week too. This is gonna be a thing. It's gonna be a thing. Can we go out with that? Yes we can. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I hope you enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I loved recording them for you. Get find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod name in the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at Badger, And I'm at Great White Gipster, G-R-8-W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about Shabbat and Max Lejoie, you can shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, so for the week, games of the week, we've got only two games that's funny enough to talk about, and they're so spread apart. We've got tonight's game versus Ottawa and Dallas, and Saturday versus the Montreal Canadiens. You know what's funny? I'm what? more worried about the Habs game. Because they've been playing well. Well, hopefully we can get the W out of them. Yeah, for sure. And the way the Sens have been rolling, it's not impossible. Nope. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go Sens, guys. Hit the music! Yeah! Don't take trouble
Say your prayers, eat your vitamins, be true to yourself, true to your country, be a real American. Whew.